So the last few times we met, we saw Paul describing um, how the church was born and nurtured. He described his relationship with the Thessalonians as like a tender mother and how they grew by imitating the faith of others. Well, we left off with Paul being torn away from Thessalonica and unable to return, even though they strongly desired um, to be with them and continue to nurture them in their faith. So Paul's initial ministry was to share the gospel and nurture them. Now he's going to minister to them in a way to help them reach maturity. So our key word for 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 will be establish. So Paul does three things to help the Thessalonians to become established Christians. And I'm just going to break down the passages as we read them, not all entirety at first, but as we go through. So uh, just a little bit of backstory. After being driven out of Thessalonica by those troublemakers, Paul and his entourage make their way to Berea, as is the case as seen over and over again, wherever Paul's ministering, what happens? Those troublemakers come, they follow, and they force them to move on again, and this time to Athens. Acts 17 tells us that Silas and Timothy were left in Berea, and eventually Timothy makes his way back to Paul, only for Paul to send him back to Thessalonica to minister to the church that was going through tribulation. Ooh, that's a lot of backstory. Uh, but it, hopefully it helps as we go ahead and study. So we're going to jump into the scripture. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 in chapter 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Well, Paul is concerned for their spiritual health. He's like a father that has poured himself into their lives spiritually and is now waiting to see if they're remaining faithful. You know, when you're raising children, they're so much needed when they're little, right? You pour, so you do everything for them until they learn to start doing things on their own. And then you start releasing them. And I haven't gotten to that point yet where I, like, they're really released yet, but I watch the others and I'm going, ooh, <laughs> You know, and what's going to happen? Are they going to be faithful? Are they going to hold to what they've been um, raised in, you know? And so Paul, he is kind of seeing, like, what happened? What's, are they going to be able to withstand what's happening to them? So um, Paul, he didn't totally abandon them. Although he couldn't come in person, he did other things to minister to them. And uh, we're going to look at three things that he does. One, he sends them a helper. So Paul had great concern for their spiritual health. He knew that simply sharing the gospel was not the end of his ministry with the Thessalonians. He reminds them in verse 4 that he warned them that the trials would come. When he could stand it no longer, he sent a trusted Timothy to strengthen and encourage their faith. So who is Timothy? Well, some would call Paul... Um, call him Paul's special agent. He was sent when churches were in need. 
He was sent to help resolve problems in uh, 1 Corinthians, and he was also uh, going to be sent uh, to Philippi to help as well. Timothy was our brother or fellow believer. He was also a minister. Now, new believers, like infants, need a lot of attention. Think about how many questions or times of confusion that a new believer contends with. You know, they surrender their life to the Lord, and it's not like something magically happens and they understand everything, right? They understand that they were not in right relationship with the Lord, and now they are, but do they know how to live like they are living for the Lord? So there's a lot of work to be done, right? So this job was demanding. It required patience and love, of which Timothy had. He was also a fellow worker or a team player. He knew how to take orders and follow through. He went where he was told. He tended faithfully to the church and returned with a report to Paul. Paul says about Timothy in Philippians 2.20, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. So he was well trusted by Paul. He had nothing in it for himself. He had everything in it for them. So now we know who was sent. Why was he sent? So verses 3 and 5 explain the church's conflict, trials, and persecution. That's what was plaguing the Thessalonian church. And Paul warned them that this was going to happen. You know, we should be careful. We should not disillusion young believers We shouldn't mislead them, letting them think that everything will be perfect and great and wonderful. That's not true. The Thessalonians were going through persecution, and Timothy's mission was to establish and encourage the believers in their faith. Even though they were going through a hard time, they could still become mature believers, and he's going to tell them how. Okay, aside, who is the tempter? You know, Satan, right? So, When he's saying they didn't want to, let me go back. He was afraid that they were going to be tempted um, by the tempter and that the laborers might be in vain, that they were going to lose their faith. Well, we ultimately know who's behind these trials and temptations. It's Satan. He's the enemy of of the believer. He wants nothing more than to cause believers to trip, stumble, rely on their own understanding. Follow their own heart. He is masterful at twisting and distorting. Since he's not able to create, for there is only one creator, he can only take that which is created and distort it to serve his purposes. Remember Eve in the Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter 3, he says, and his, his attempt was to weaken her faith. Did God really say, right? As a serpent, Satan deceives. As a lion, he devours. He will use any means to attack the Christian and weaken his faith in God. You know, affliction is not a bad thing. Persecution is not a bad thing. It is a hard thing. But it can be used. What the enemy means for evil, the Lord can use it for his good and for glory, to glorify the Lord. So I have just a quote here I'd like to share with you. Um, It's by John Charles Ryle, and if you don't know him, just his backstory. He was born in 1816, died in 1900. He was a prolific writer, vigorous preacher, faithful pastor, husband of three wives, widowed three times. 
He was thoroughly um, evangelical in his doctrine, uncompromising in his biblical principles. And it was said from his conversion at age 21, he was entirely one-dimensional. He was a one-book man. He was steeped in scripture, and he bled the Bible. So this is his quote about um, Christian living and affliction. And I share that backstory with you to help you understand he wasn't speaking from lofty ideas, but from experience. If we, true Christians, if we are true Christians, we must not expect everything smooth in our journey to heaven. We must count it no strange thing if we have to endure sickness, loss, bereavement, and disappointments just like the others. You know, free pardon, full forgiveness, grace by the way, and glory to the end, all this our Savior has promised to give. But he has never promised that we shall have no afflictions. He loves us too well to promise that. By affliction, he teaches us many precious lessons with which it, we should never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness, our weakness. He draws us to the throne of grace. He purifies our affections. He weans us from the world and makes us long for heaven. In the resurrection morning, we shall all say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. We shall thank God for every storm. That was a quote in Psalms, it is good for me that I was afflicted. I thought, really? <laughs> I'm looking that up. <laughs> and I did, and it really is there. And can I tell you, if you have gone through hard times, you know what it means when you have been put in a place when you can only fully rely on the Lord. When your suffering is so low, no one is with you in it, and you feel like, I cannot do this. But when you reach out to the Lord and you rely on the Lord, he can take you to places that you th never thought imaginable. And he can take all that brokenness, all that sadness, all that hurt, all that loneliness, and he can bring redemption. So if you are in a place of affliction or in a place of trials and temptation, deep, reach deep into the Lord, not on your own understanding, you're not going to find the answer to why. Just reach into him and ask him to show you. Ask him to show you more of him. And I tell you, I, every time I have gone through something and, um, and I think, oh my gosh, really? But I really just step back and start to ask the Lord to show me, like, not why, but what. What are you showing me? What can you do with this? You know, it's amazing what he can do. Okay. Back to our text. So uh, Paul is trying to establish these new believers. He is um, sending Timothy. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he writes a letter. Well, this is 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 8. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, distress, we were comforted and concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So in addition to sending a helper, Timothy, Paul also writes the Thessalonian letter. And verses 6 through 8 cover this. Paul's rejoicing in the good report that Timothy brought him at Corinth. Timothy reports their steadfast faith and fond memories of Paul. You know, the enemy tried to sow seeds of doubt about Paul's motives, but the Thessalonians did not believe these lies and still held Paul in high esteem and love. 
Both of Paul's letters to the Thessalonians are part of God's inspired word. This should suggest that we ought to bring the word of God to our young believers um, in Christ in order to help them become, what's our word? Established, right? So in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, to stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you. God's word can be trusted to help new and seasoned believers in their walk with Christ. You know, the Bible is the word of God. It's able to establish us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's a breakdown of the four words that I just said. This is what the word of God can do for us. Ready? Doctrine. It tells us what is right. Reproof tells us what is not right. Correction tells us how to get right. And instruction tells us how to stay right. So the word can do all of those things. You know, last week, or last week, last time we met, there was a portion in the study, and it talked about... um, how the word of God is effective and it works in you. And it says, how is it working in you? This is, this, I'm just going to be honest here. Ready? It calls out my errors, does surgery on my heart and in my mind, encourages me to keep going, and directs my life path. I'll be honest and real with you. The word does all these things. You know, sometimes... Sometimes you think it's just a book, you're just studying it. Um, I told you I came to faith at a young age, attended church, did lots of the religious things, right? But until I realized that this was God's word to me, this was his word to me, he was speaking to me through this, I didn't understand. It was more like a reference instead of my absolute word from God. Um, here's an example of how this works. Ready? A couple weeks ago, in conversation with someone, I said something not very kind or in a kind light um, about my husband. And I'm, I'm sure the person also knows that that probably wasn't a nice thing to say, and I probably shouldn't have said it. And they probably could have rebuked me. But the Lord took care of it because I went home and through prayer and in reading the word and oh my gosh, I was really wrong. So I go to my husband and I say, I have a confession <laughs> and I need to ask for forgiveness. And I explained, you know, what happened. And he was like, he said, I forgive you. And before he could say anything else, I was like, I don't need a lecture. And he goes, I think the Holy Spirit already did that for you. And I was like, okay, yes, he did. But that's what the word of God can do. You know, we don't always need someone to come into our lives and tell us what was right or wrong. If you're in the word, if you're in prayer, the Holy Spirit's ministering to you. God is speaking to you. We can, we can be sensitive to those things and not need someone else to come out. There might be a time you need someone to tell you, but in that moment, I'm thankfully, I was sensitive enough to the Lord after the fact, not before. I should have just been quiet before. Um, but regardless, so the Word can do all those things in you, and that's what helps to mature a believer. That's what helps you become established. 
So we need the word for spiritual growth and stability. God's word is food to nourish us. In Matthew 4, 4, remember the tempter? Well, guess what? Jesus answered the tempter um, when he was, Satan was tempting him, and he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even Jesus knew how to use the word, right? It's a light to guide us. Psalm, 10, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a weapon to defend us. Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'm pretty sure that was in the study at the end. So if you get to that. Um, at some point in my life, I told you at a young age, I kind of skipped ahead, I'm sorry. I uh, did lots of religious things and such, but there was one point in time that I remember going into a church where they were teaching um, verse by verse, and the scripture was just purely being given. And I remember um, hearing God speak to my heart, and that's when I realized that the word was, was for me um, personally, and how much it was that I matured after that, after I had learned to read the word for myself, not just as entertainment or as part of a religious experience, but to really let it um, change me personally and move me forward in my life. And if that has not happened for you yet, take the word and start reading it. Take it one chapter, take it one book, and just start praying, asking the Lord to help you understand what it is. As you're studying this, take time to really read it. Read it multiple times if you need to. Ask the Lord to show you, what is it? What is it you're trying to show me in this? What am I trying to hear? How do I grow in this? He will. So Paul knew the Thessalonians needed the word of God to resist Satan. Well, so let's go back. He is helping them by, he sends them a helper. He also writes them a letter. And by the way, I think Trish mentioned this the last time. Isn't that to our benefit that he was not able to get to them? I think I'm going to send my notes coming up. Um, he does pray, and he wants to meet them, and he can't go. He cannot go meet them in person, and we'll get to that in a second. But All right, so he helps them by sending a helper. He helps them by writing a letter, and now he helps them by praying for them. So this is verses 9 through 13. For we, um, for what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which he, we rejoice for your sake before our God? Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perf perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, let's play a little word game. Are you ready? I'm going to say something. You tell me what you're thinking. Okay, I say one thing, you say the other. All right, uh, ready? Romeo. Oh, see, you guys are good at this. I knew this. Okay, peanut butter. Oh, see? All right, ready? The word. Pray. I know. I know, right? I'm glad you took that risk, though. You know, they go together. Uh, if you were here on Sunday, Pastor Tony brought it up in the message when they were talking about the 
uh, early church, how they needed more helpers, those to minister. And they said, so that we could devote ourselves to what? Prayer and the word. So interesting. So um, they go together. Now, So the prophet Samuel tells the people of Israel, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. In the early days of the New Testament church, as we mentioned, they needed that time. They were seeking to add more to their workers, and they said, so that we can turn our responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And even Jesus spent time in prayer in Luke when he was praying for the disciples that their faith would not fail. You know, Paul prayed three specific things. One, that their faith might mature. Paul asked that God would allow him to minister to them personally, but he didn't answer that prayer You know what? Maybe, just maybe, it was for our benefit that God didn't allow Paul to travel there. Instead, he wrote the letters, and these letters are now part of our scripture. Our faith doesn't ever reach perfection. You know, we are constantly needing adjustment and growth. Romans 1.17 describes us from going from faith to faith. Uh, It's been said about faith that faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. God tries our faith not to destroy it, but to develop it. Abraham's faith was tested time and time again, and his ultimate test came when God asked him to sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. You know, faith is like a muscle. This one I feel like you get used all the time. Faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the more it grows, right? But it's also like a muscle. When it is neglected, it is weakened. Have you ever worked out? right? And you get stronger and stronger. Maybe something happens, an injury, you can't work out again. What happens to your muscles? They weaken, right? That's our faith. We need to continue to grow in our faith. And if we're not growing, we're weakening, right? Paul's prayer was that the suffering Christians in Thessalonica might grow in their faith, and God answered that prayer. We see the evidence of it. We get, to ben- we get the benefit of the second letter too. Because in um, 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Isn't that cool? We get to see that. You know, his second request um, in his prayer for them is that their love might abound. Okay, let's be honest. Times of suffering can be times of selfishness. It can make us very um, closed off, numb to what others are going through, self-centered, focused on whatever it is that we're dealing with. It's hard. Um, It can make us hard-hearted. Paul's prayer was to counter that. He prayed that they would abound in love towards others and that prayer is answered, and it's evident as well in 2 Thessalonians. It says, The charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So they, he's, asking for, he's asking that their love would abound, right? Well, what does true love do? It deepens with time, right? What does um, superficial love do when hard times come? 
shallow love. It fades away, right? He's saying, I want your love to abound, right? To grow, that you wouldn't go into yourself, but that it would come out of you, right? So um, 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. We are to love one another, the lost and even our enemies. It does say all. All right. His third request was for holiness of life. He prayed night and day and exceedingly. True prayer is hard work. The promised return of our Lord Jesus is what should motivate a believer to live a holy life. Um, as a child, I was very athletic. I enjoyed participating in athletic games, but I was on a soccer team that was terrible. I mean terrible. <laughs> we hardly ever won, and that became very, very discouraging. Let me tell you, sometimes I still feel that way. You know, as a believer, most of the time I feel like I'm on the losing team in our cultural war. I always feel like I'm going against what is culturally norm, right? But guess what? We may lose many a battle if viewed through the eyes of man. But your holy living is glorifying our Father in heaven. Sisters, are you looking for man's approval or God's? Regardless of what the world says, keep following hard after Jesus. One day it is not the throne of men that you will stand before, but you will stand before the throne of God. And may he say about you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, Paul's prayer teaches us how to pray not only for new believers, but for all believers. We should pray that their faith will mature, will grow, and their character and conduct be holy and blameless before God. Paul knew how important it was to establish new believers. Leading someone to Christ is not the end. If they are not established in their faith, they will fall when the winds of persecution start to blow. If they cannot stand, they will never learn to walk. You know, it took me years and years and years before I matured into some of these areas. And your walk with the Lord may still be in a maturing state. How do you find yourself to become established? Well, find yourself a Timothy. Surround yourself with someone that can encourage you in your faith. Be in the word of God. Read it for yourself. Listen to sound teaching and be in prayer. Pray alone with others and ask your sisters to be in prayer with you.